Welcome to the Orthodox West Gazette, a miscellany of talks, interviews, ponderings, and presentations. I'm Stephen Brannan, and today I'm joined again by Father Patrick Cardine, pastor of St. Patrick Orthodox Church in Bealton, Virginia, to continue our conversation about the Western Rite and the Orthodox Church. Today, we focus on addressing actual objections raised against the Western Rite that we've encountered. Okay, Father Patrick, thank you so much for joining me again to talk some more. I'm very happy to be here. Last time we talked, we um, we talked about how most of the clergy that that we both know, um, not just clergy, uh, Orthodox people in our parishes and other parishes, are actually very supportive of us and and very very kind and very um, open to the Western Rite and consider their their brothers and sisters in the Western Rite parishes, you know, full full members of of the Orthodox Church and and um, beyond that are actually sympathetic to the project of the Western Rite. I think we both know uh, people in, in clergy like that. Actually, certain- hierarchs hierarchs too. That's been my experience, and it, yep. uh, overwhelmingly, and um, yeah. So it's because uh, you it's had very, last very time we positive. talked, you you had just had two bishops, um, uh, Bishop John, the um, overseer of the of the Western Rite Vicariate, and also your local diocesan bishop, who had just joined you for your own patronal um, feast day. Yes, and so, and they're there every year, so uh, they're very supportive. I and I, I mentioned that I, that's the same experience I have, and I've talked with other. Western Rite Orthodox people, and they've had very similar experiences. But there are, believe it or not, some Orthodox people out there who have some misgivings about the Western Rite. And That's you probably true. don't know anything about that. <laughs> well, I, I, you run into it a little bit here and there. So, um, Most often, you run into it online in various groups and discussion groups and, and blogs and um, things where people can, I think the, I think the reason for that is both the, the sense of anonymity that one has online, but also because, um, I found that online, it's just easier to, to put your thoughts into, into words, uh, instead of, you know, if you're talking with someone who is Western right about the Western right, sometimes it's hard to think of all the, the objections and, and there's that personal aspect and you don't want to be, um, insulting, but mm-hmm. good, honest people with real, honest misgivings um, will express them occasionally. And uh, over the course of time, I have actually gathered a few of these and just written them down. Um, I've tried to kind of aggregate and consolidate these misgivings that I've seen from people into um, some generalized points. And I thought today, if you don't mind, we could just go through some of these objections and see what you think. Sure. You know, I, I would I would like to make a comment about what you were just saying about how sometimes mm-hmm. it can be easier for people to voice their objections, um, you know, online or uh, in social media or something like that than face to face with someone. And and I think a. Uh, um, one of the one of the reactions I have when I read a lot of these objections online is that they're they're basically abstractions. They're sort of theoretical objections, and they're coming from people who have never actually experienced the Western Rite. Very often, um, you know, not always, but very often, um, and maybe not experienced it in a consistent manner in a community over time. Maybe it's been right. one experience. Right. Um, but but we all know that people can go into an Eastern Rite service, you know, for one experience and come away, you know, not being enthused. I mean, that that happens all the time. It's mm-hmm. um, not everybody is falls in love with the Orthodox liturgical, uh, you know, the liturgy immediately. Um, so so a lot of times people's objections, um, they're kind of abstract, they're theoretical, and they're not rooted in a real experience. And, um, quite frankly, I think, uh, more often than not, I find that to be the biggest problem. Like if this person would experience, um, you know, the Western right, um, in a community, a faithful, dynamic, pious community, um, I think very often their objections would just sort of melt away. 
and we all know how we can sort of create uh, problems that might not actually exist uh, through sort of abstract theorizing. Um, yeah. We do it all the time. It's quite common. And then when we're actually faced with the reality, the concrete reality of a thing, we're like, you know, this is really not an issue. Uh, this is kind of a non-issue. And yeah. um, so, so sometimes yeah, it's makes... actually a little, sometimes it's a little difficult to even uh, respond to some of these objections because they sound to someone who's living the right on a daily basis. I mean, we have mass every single day. Um, we're, I'm in church every single day. I have two services a day. Um, this is my life. We're there. We're worshiping God. We're experiencing the fullness of the faith. And somebody comes along and says, well, you know, da, 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 da. And I'm like, I, I don't even know how to. I, it's actually not part of my experience at all. Yeah, I don't so even understand. How do I respond? Yeah, I don't even know what you're like. I can't yeah. even grasp what you're saying. Um, that makes so. me think of um, what actually uh, Metropolitan Joseph um, in the, the last episode of this podcast that we posted uh, a talk of his to the. Um, last year's conference to the Western Rite Vicariate, speaking of hierarchs who are enthused about the Western Rite, he, in his vision for the Vicariate, actually said the way forward is through practical usage, living this Western tradition in an orthodox manner uh, is the way that we sort of solidify any anything that might be up in the air regarding liturgics or, you know, any, anything like that, mm -hmm. the way that we solidify that for ourselves is just through lived experience, uh, which right. I thought was incredibly wise. Uh, honestly, that's the way that you solidify anything, anything that sure. is theoretical. Um, you're always, there are always going to be things that you can't foresee or that you thought would be a bigger deal than it is, or thought wouldn't be as big of a deal that it turns out to be. And you don't realize those things until you live them. <clears throat> so, well, that, that's just so rudimentary to as Orthodox Christians how we live out our faith. I mean, we our our objection, one of our objections to um, some of Western Christianity um, that we would consider would be, you know, would not be Orthodox would be how how sort of theoretical it's become, how abstract and sort of philosophical, disembodied impractical mm -hmm. and and so we're always emphasizing that our theology you know has to be experienced and we have it has to be an encounter with god uh through through prayer and through an experience and um that's what i'm saying a lot of times the objections that i hear uh, are a move towards that sort of abstract theoretical kind of position and it, it's not really an orthodox thing to do that's <laughs> not how right. we do things so. Well, why don't we just jump in and, and, and see what some of these uh, possible objections are. Um, and off the bat, I'll say that they have varying degrees of, of sort of merit and, um, you know, seriousness. And I think where they fall on that spectrum will become obvious as I, as I read them out and we talk about them a little bit. So Mer merit. Now that's the, the if they're good Orthodox Christians, they can't have, they can't have merit. Like, have I used you know, the that, bad word? Yeah, that, that doesn't work. Right. I'll I mean, have Orthodox to that don't, out. The Orthodox don't believe in merit. Well, in merit. we'll see. We'll see. Um, yeah. Maybe that should be one of the questions. <laughs> Actually, I don't, I, I don't know that it is, but yeah, um, maybe we'll throw that in at the end if we have time. Uh, in no particular order. The first objection is, and this is, this is truly, these are real objections from, Eastern Rite Orthodox people. Um, and so I'm going to assume that all of them come from uh, honest, loving, caring places in the heart, and that uh, these aren't meant to be just antagonistic, but are serious concerns. So um, I, I know you will treat them as such. The first is this. What's wrong with the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom? And why do we need a different one? Why does the Orthodox Church at large need a different liturgy? What's so valuable in the Western Rite that isn't already in the Byzantine Rite? Okay, well, I think that was, I think that was three questions, if I break it down. <laughs> um, what's, what's wrong with the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom? Um, the answer to that is very easy, nothing. Um, so nothing. But the, that, that question 
um, is really a sort of an assumption that because we would uh, invite another liturgy um, into our experience, that that implies that there's something wrong with the liturgy of St. John, which is a false premise. We, okay. you know, we, we order the chicken, you know, uh, one night and the beef, you know, the next night it doesn't ma- mean that there's something wrong with the fish. You know, it, it's um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> just like God's world. I mean, we, we get this question from Protestants coming to Orthodoxy all the time. And they're, they're, I get the question all the time, why do you need all this stuff? Like, why do you, there's like so much stuff. Like you, you have so many different things that you do and, and it's complicated. And, and why do you have the calendar? And why do you have all these fasting rules and the different vestments and the different feast days and the, and eight different offices uh, for the hours of prayer and, you know, right. all this stuff that seems so, you know, it's just, it's just too much. Why do you need over the all this? Yeah. 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 Right. And, and, and so as Orthodox Christians, we don't, we're not minimalists and we're not reductionists. Um, you know, we say, well, why did God need to make so many different kinds of trees and flowers and people? Um, it's, it's, it's in God's very character and nature uh, to, to, to pour out, you know, a plethora of very variation of color and beauty and, um, an expression of, of, of these things of goodness. And, you know, this applies to all of life and it certainly applies to, um, the worship of the church. Um, there were many different, uh, liturgies of the church that were considered, um, part of holy tradition, apostolic, uh, liturgies that faithfully, um, you know, conveyed and articulated the, the great mysteries of our faith and our worship to God. This is, um, orthodoxy has never been just one, you know, a single, um, you know, homogenous kind of thing. There's been different calendars, different local calendars, different liturgical expressions rooted in different cultures and peoples and languages that, um, that express the great mystery of our salvation. And so I think that, um, you know, I think the premise that, um, that having more than one liturgy to express our our multifaceted and, you know, and mysterious grand faith, I think that, that that's just a false premise. It's not, that's just not even an orthodox premise. You know, we don't even, I don't know if we said this in the last, in our last chat, but I apologize if I'm repeating something. We don't even have a single model of the atonement. When mm-hmm. we're trying yep. to talk about what was accomplished by Christ on the cross, we haven't dogmatized as the Orthodox Church. We have not dogmatized a single model of the atonement. Not one model will do. Um, you know, we need uh, we need more than one model to express this great uh, mystery and different aspects of it. And um, they come they come and express it from from different angles. So I, I don't think that um, I don't think having a varied expression implies that there's anything wrong with this liturgy St. John Chrysostom. Um, and why we need a different one? Well, you know, why do we, we don't do what we do because we need, we do what we do because it's, it's, uh, we believe in ecstasy. We believe in a cup that runneth over. We believe in, you know, excess of, <laughs> you know, the divine glory. And, right. and so it's not minimalism. Um, it's just, that's just not the spirit of orthodoxy. We're not reductionists or minimalists. And these things are all rooted in the ancient church. Um, and then the last part of the, the third part of the question, what is so valuable in the Western rite that isn't in the Byzantine? I actually think that, you know, of the three parts of that question, that is the one, um, that would require the, the longest answer. And actually has has a, a, a meatier answer because um, I think the assumption of that question actually is correct. There there is something distinct about um, the Western liturgical tradition, distinct from the Eastern liturgical tradition, meaning um, it is different. It's not the same. Um, it's distinct. It has its own thing to offer. And if the Western liturgical tradition conveys the apostolic patrimony, you know, the, the apostolic faith as it was um, experienced and, and conveyed in, in the West. Um, and this is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit. And um, it is a part of, uh, you know, the faith of our fathers. And if it is distinct, then 
just with that amount of information, which I, I think everybody could could agree with what I just said, or most, uh -huh. almost everybody could agree. I, I know that the vast majority of my brother priests would, uh, I think, would agree with what I just said. Um, Not to be a dead it, horse, but also the vast majority of our hierarchs have also yes, um, yeah, absolutely. implicitly or explicitly signed off on this. Right. Absolutely. There's no right. question about it. I mean, you just... Um, you're you're way outside the bounds of of uh, you know of safety um, when you start rejecting uh, you know Saint Gregory the Great and that sort of thing as as not being orthodox. Um, so if it, if what I said is true, if it is distinct and it is unique and it offers something unique uh, from the Eastern Rite, and if it is a part of the work of the Holy Spirit and a part of holy tradition then without going a whole lot further, I think that's a pretty solid argument for why we need it, like why it's important to have. Um, you know, we can flesh that out, of course. But if that's true, then to be without it, uh, you know, means that it, it's not okay to be without it. Just like it's not okay for the soul to be without the body. Is the person still con have personhood and self-consciousness yes by god's grace but it's still not okay and yeah. um so so the western rite um it provides particularly in the mass we call the divine liturgy in the west we we use both terms interchangeably we call it the mass or the liturgy but we typically call it the mass uh, which comes from uh, the, at the very end um of the mass we say ita misa and it comes People think it comes, there's a little disagreement about where it may come from, but it comes from the term misa, ite misa es deo gratias. Um, so it is, you know, it's sort of the blessing uh, at departure to go out in, into the world. Um, so that's where, and, and, the, and it was called the mass from er, early times. I mean, I think St. Ambrose uh, used the term mass. I don't know if he's the first one that we have recorded, but um, this is not a late sort of late Roman right. Catholic term. This certainly is, uh, an early, certainly a, uh, by any, anyone's idea or standard of the schism, certainly pre-schism uh, yes, thing to call yes. in the West, yes, to call it, the liturgy the mass. And so <clears> if some of our Orthodox brethren are like, oh, I called it the mass, is that okay? Is that Orthodox? Yes, it's, it's completely okay totally and, and totally good term. So, um, but in the mass, um, the the presentation of what's happening, the way that Christ's atoning uh, work upon the cross through his death and resurrection um, and ascension, the way that it is conveyed to us, um, emphasizes certain aspects about the work of Christ differently than the liturgy of St. John Chrysostom. It, it's different. And um, it, it really represents Christ as mediator, for example, in a way uh, that is not in a very dominant manner. That is not there in in, in the Byzantine rite, in the Eastern and in, in, in the Eastern rite. So um, this is not right, wrong, good, bad. It's just uh, it's a variation, and and it 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 gives us a depth of color and meaning that enriches uh, our faith in, in the Orthodox world. Um, it, it it there's a different ethos to the service. You know, I think mm -hmm. Frederica Matthews Green after she saw the film. The Orthodox uh, West. She she made a public statement saying, you know, that the film had really touched her and um, you know caused her to to think about the beauty and the importance of the Western Rite. And she has very dear friends who are who are uh, uh, you know a priest and his wife are uh, serve in the Western Rite. And she talked about this publicly, and I, I talked to her about it and um, uh, a little bit and. Um, she she wrote about how in the Eastern Rite, for example, uh, it, it's it's very exuberant and uh, there's a lot going on all at once and overlapping music and hymns and you know uh, it's just a very energetic uh, kind of an atmosphere uh, you know and depending on what what jurisdiction you're in or who the priest is, you might have people several people reading different things at once and um, I think in 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 the church in Africa, um, they'll, they'll have 12 people reading the Psalter all at one time. Um, I, I think in Ethiopia, actually, that, that, that is done, I've heard. Um, whereas in the Western, in the Western liturgical tradition, things are, um, quieter. 
um, in some ways, but you might say more contemplative. Um, and, and they move in a linear fashion uh, to some extent. Um, you know, it's slower. Uh, in, in a lot of ways, it's, it's actually more primitive. It reflects a more primitive expression of the liturgy. The liturgy in the East went through more revisions, developments in ceremonial uh, developments and revisions um, up, you know, many centuries after the Western liturgy had been basically codified uh, and for the most part set. I mean, it, 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 it did have some, some modifications as time went, but not nearly as much as the Eastern. So in, in, the, in, the, in the Western Rite, you have a little bit more of a primitive, simpler, um, quieter uh, approach and a very, very strong emphasis on uh, the sacrificial nature of what's happening, of Christ offering his, himself to the Father there in the Mass on the altar uh, of the cross. Um, and, and so the, the prayers, the language, just the way, the whole ethos of the thing of how it all comes together and is experienced is different. And like I said, it's not better. It's not worse. Uh, it's just different. And it, it's, uh, it is a part, it's not something we did. We didn't do this. We didn't put this together. This wasn't our brainchild. None of us, we, we have to give credit to none other than the Holy spirit. This is a work of the Holy spirit in the church that did this and um, created this beautiful thing, this beautiful um, articulation and experience of the sacrifice of, of, our, of our Lord Jesus Christ. And um, so it brings something to the table. It brings something to the Orthodox experience that makes us richer, uh, you know, in a way. Um, and, and I say that without wanting to imply that without it, um, we don't have the fullness of the faith. We do have the fullness of the faith. Um, and yet at the same time, uh, if we have an opportunity, if God can restore something um, uh, that is of God and of the Spirit that was lost, by the way, through the most tragic um, experience in the history of the church. So this is, this is, in a way, it is a reversal on some level it, it is a it is a partial reversal um, of the most tragic, awful, ugly, sinful, devastating event in the history of the church. So, if you look at it that way, that this is a work of the Spirit to to re in part to reverse that. It's it's some movement back towards the wholeness of the church at some level, at a significant level, I would say. Right. How how could you how could you oppose that? But it's not a complete revert, like like going back to the Garden of Eden. I mean, it's not ignoring all the history, like what 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 Christ did to reverse the the fall in a sense uh, wasn't to erase history and just hit the reset button and go back to the garden. He fixed it, <laughs> um, yeah. and in in a sense, that's that's what the Western the Western right in our time now that isn't um identical to everything that was going on in the west at you know 1054 or whatever um this is in a sense a reversal but i i think it might be also a reversal that takes into account all the history that has passed between then and now and uh and and redeems it well well it's not a reversal in the sense of going back it's a reversal of the it's an undoing so I don't want to mean when I say that's funny because when I said reversal, we think of putting our car in reverse and going backwards. Um, right, right. But that's not the way I mean it. Maybe that's the wrong word to use, but it's it's an undoing. Um, sure. It's yes. An, it's yes. A, it's it, it's an undoing of the sin. It, it's living. It's moving forward. It's living because to live means to move forward. You know, I mean, we're we're we're, we're we can't live in the past. We're moving forward. Uh, right. We're living, but we're living as though the sin didn't occur. You know, we're, we're, we're taking, we're taking that which had been lost to us, buried or how, whatever sort of, you know, analogy, metaphor you want to use. Sure. And we are breathing, you know, we're receiving it back and breathing life into it and living it again. 
And as and, and by doing that, just by 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 living it, living this right, which is a which is of the Holy Spirit, I would strongly contend. Um, it is in a sense a an undoing of that tragic sin at some level. Obviously, there's uh, not completely, but it, it's a step. Sure. It's something that we yeah. can do. Yeah. Uh, just, I mean, to throw another biblical an- analogy in there, if I'm correct me if uh, this is off base, but you were talking about how the Orthodox Church wasn't lacking orthodoxy with solely the the Eastern expression, the Byzantine and and other uh, various colorings of the Eastern liturgics and 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 liturgy, but uh, the West is something that it was lacking. It wasn't lacking orthodoxy. It was just lacking the the orthodoxy as expressed in sort of that Western ethos and traditions and habits and everything else, which makes me think of um, what St. Paul says about himself and his work filling up what was lacking in the sacrifice of Christ. Not that anything was lacking at all in the sacrifice of Christ, except for its implementation in the very unique, specific circumstances in which St. Paul found himself. Mm -hmm. And in the West, likewise, there's nothing lacking in the Orthodox Church. But the the expression of orthodoxy in the West was not there in its fullness, and now the Western Rite is um, filling up what is lacking in the Orthodox Church, which is not to say that it is filling up any orthodoxy that was lacking. It's just filling up the experience of orthodoxy for those here in the West who um, live in, and, and breathe through Western right tradition. Mm-hmm. Oh, I think that's an outstanding way to put it, actually. Uh, and I think Paul's, you know, as, uh, as scandalous as it may sound for you and I to propose such a thing, that the Western right could fill up something for Orthodox in the Orthodox Church's life and expression through the Western right. Um, that may sound scandalous, but it doesn't sound any more scandalous than what, what Paul had to say right. about his, his sufferings filling up what was lacking in Christ. Yeah, I, I, I think if you can uh, understand what Paul meant and make peace with that, then um, what's happening in the Western Rite shouldn't be, shouldn't be all that difficult. Um, well, uh, to, to, to move on to the next thing, and you actually did touch on this a good bit, um, you were talking about how in Orthodoxy we are always promoting the fullest expression. We we want fullness. We don't want um, like like you have to explain to uh, your your Protestant inquirers why do you do this? Why do you do that? Isn't it over the top? Isn't that too much? Well, no, because we we want uh, the fullest expression that that we can have. Well, I've heard and read that the Byzantine rite is much fuller than the Western Rite. Isn't fuller better, like you were saying? And I think this this question is referring to the sheer amount of, like you were saying, in the East, there's a habit of, you've got, you know, in Ethiopia, 12 people reading the Psalms all at once. You, you might have a lot going on at one time. You've got the priest praying prayers, you've got the choir singing um, a, a hymn, and at the same time, you've got, you know, people reverencing. You might have someone uh, over in the corner reverencing an icon, and, and there's two certain sets of eyes, a lot going on at one time. And mm-hmm. isn't that what we're after? Isn't that the fullness? Whereas in the Western ethos and tradition, you you said it tends to be a little quieter, a little more linear, um, a little more... Um, you know, sort of one thing after another instead of many things at the same time. Doesn't that automatically mean that the uh, Western Rite, the liturgics, etc., are less full than the Eastern? Yeah. Well, um, I mean, the simple answer to that is absolutely not. I mean, not at all. Um, you, you know, just because, um, well, then why don't we have, you know, if the Ethiopians and their 
Paschal services have, you know, 12 uh, young boys reading the Psalter all at once, but we don't have 12 boys reading the Psalter all at once in the Byzantine rite. So I guess the Ethiopian service is fuller than ours. Well, if 12 is good, maybe 24 is even better. You know, that's, it's not, that's not really how. Stop talking (laughs) sense. That's that's not gonna, Um, that's not gonna work. I need you to to address the spirit of the question, not the, the, uh, the issues with it, the problems with it. Well, in all, in all seriousness, you know, St. Seraphim Sarav had, had one single, uh, you know, um, icon in his corner and, um, you know, was his, was his, uh, life of prayer and, um, you know, in the spirit, was it, was it not full? I mean, the the idea of fullness is not a matter of just sheer quantity of, you know, hymns or whatever. Um, there comes a point where things can get so busy, so much going on that it becomes untenable. It actually becomes like, um, impractical and unreasonable, quite frankly. Um, you know, which, which actually quite, you know, not to, I don't want to go about critiquing anything, but as an observation, um, because of the Eastern way of doing things and, and this proclivity to, you know, to, to, which I like, by the way, just full disclosure. I mean, I'm an, I'm an artist and I, I like, you know, all of the, uh, accoutrements and, 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 and things, um, to, to fill things out. But, but there is sort of in the, in the, in the Byzantine, um, culture and, and way of doing things, uh, you know, there's whipped cream and sprinkles and chocolate shavings and more whipped cream. And, you know, it's just, uh, there, there's a, a tendency to, and, and it's beautiful, but on a practical level, it, it has made some things so complicated, um, you know, whether it's the hours, the daily office, the hours that a lot of people can't do them. I mean, and then they don't do them. Where is, um, you know, sometimes if they're left um, a little bit more reasonable, they're still very serious, but very a little bit more reasonable, then people can actually participate in them more. So, you know, it's just an observation that sure. more is not always better for somebody's spiritual life or for them to be able to enter into prayer. And, yeah. and the, West, the Western Rite has, it, ha- it, has, it has an incredibly rich uh, liturgical life. And I was about to say of, it, it of, could almost be accused of of some of the same things. Um, it, right. If you know anything about the history of of Western tradition, it the West is not unfamiliar with the problem of too many accoutrements to to right. the, to the sure. point where it, it it muddies the water so much that you can't swim in it. Right. Um, so yeah, that that's we're speaking in generalities between East and West, which is always yeah. dangerous to do. Yeah. But um, I, I I think it's an I think it's just a, um this is a myth that's been perpetuated by who knows who maybe Kevin Bacon wrote this on his Facebook page and then everybody took it for gospel. I don't know, but I don't know where this idea came from that, you know, the Western liturgical tradition in life is this sparse pared down, you, you know, thing that is empty of, of, of color and life and, and things. It's just, that's just false. I mean, the, yeah. there's, there's tons of the, our devotional life is rich and varied and full. And like you said, it, it can be too much too. Um, and, and there's a place in, I mean, we look to the desert fathers, we look to, um, to those who lived incredibly simple lives who didn't have all of the extensive hym- hymnography and things. Right. And we, we revere them in their simplicity. So I, I think that this sort of, um, misunderstanding, um, is just, uh, it's just a lack of um, knowledge and understanding things. It's sort of just an urban myth that's gotten thrown out there. People have latched on to maybe. Right. I think we can move on from, from that one. I think that's, that's a slam dunk answer there. If the Western liturgies are different than the Eastern, how can they give us the same spiritual formation? Right, so if if the rule of prayer is the rule of faith, which actually is as that's Saint Vincent of Liron, a, a Western saint who said that lex orande lex credendi, shouldn't all of the Orthodox use the same liturgy so that we all are getting the same spiritual formation? Well, I think we're, and I've heard people use this argument before, and I think they're, um, I think they're mis handling the idea of lex orandi lex credendi est and it's 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 a little too mechanistic 
um, and the way they're thinking about it, where, you know, uh, you put in this prayer and out comes this result. You put in a different prayer and your outcomes a different result. <laughs> you know, it doesn't really right. Right. doesn't really work work that way. Um, you know, like we said, there were You're um, right, that is very mechanical, almost almost like um computer programming type yeah. thinking. Yeah, <laughs> and, and so it's not a direct correlation between, you know, this prayer prayer produces you know, this exact belief. Um mm. it's 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 um it's 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 about apostolic. It's about the form of prayer, the idea of sacrifice, and and all of there were many liturgies rooted in um, you know in holy tradition and the apostolic tradition that have been uh, you know varied forms that all equally express and catechize and shape us in the faith, and um, they can be assimilated by a person more or less. Any one of these liturgies can be um can be assimilated and um formative for a person's catechesis but i mean the person has to like just because you're sitting in 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 the liturgy and listening to prayers doesn't even mean they're going to catechize you i mean you have to pay attention right. to them you have to right. pay attention you have to unite your heart to them you have to be cognitive and um and and and, and conscientious of the presence of god and um and and have the the, the ears of your heart open so you know the liturgy doesn't work, you know, in a mechanical form anyway. Um, it, it requires the cooperation of the worshiper, and um, and again, it's um, all of these varied forms have been in use from the from the earliest days. So, I I this might be its own. I mean, this honestly is a, a pretty large subject. If I if I phrase it like I'm about to, but in the Western Rite, I I think we are very sensitive to the idea of what orthodoxy actually is because we don't have the luxury of equating orthodoxy with the Byzantine rite, the liturgy and the, and the, the hours and, and everything else. We have to defend ourselves as orthodox, but we have a different liturgy. And so the question on our minds, if we're thinking about it, is how are we orthodox but so are our our Eastern Rite brothers and sisters. What is orthodox about both of us? And we have to realize at that point that orthodoxy is not a rite. It's not a, a specific liturgy. It's not even a, a particular set of traditions. Orthodoxy has to be something deeper and stronger and older and more transcendental. Um, and I think there's there's a phrase that the apostolic and and just post Nicene apostolic fathers use which is the canon of faith uh, or the canon of truth sometimes mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. I sometimes use as a shorthand for, for orthodoxy to try to explain this to people and, and to myself when, you know, when I'm, I'm, I'm questioning this and, and mulling it over. And of course, canon means a straight line. I think it, I think it's related to like a plumb line or something, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to measure something straightness. Ortho means straight. And so you've got this this canon, this straight line, this plumb that is the the measure of truth. And you know, if anything measures up to that, if you lay it flat against that 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 straight line, and it's straight, and it's square, and it's plumb, then it's orthodox. Then it right. then it conforms to and and measures up to the canon of truth. But you can. You can, you know, have a tradition lining up against that that plumb line from the west and from the east, and and both of those mm -hmm. can be colored differently, but as long as they conform to that canon of truth, then there are all kinds of uh, of of legitimate differences, cultural, um, habitual ideas of of piety, ideas of um, you know good, uh, you know, just those 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 concepts of how to practice faith from from different cultural traditions as long as the faith is the same then there there's room for for differences i also mm -hmm. sometimes use the the image with other people of orthodoxy being it has very very uh thick defined borders it's like a, it's like a a fence and outside of those borders outside of the fence is heterodoxy it's not you know it's not good but inside is orthodoxy 
but mm-hmm. that you're thinking just two dimensionally at that point. If you think three dimensionally and you realize that within those borders, within that fence, you can go up and down, <laughs> then you've got right. this third dimension that that has all sorts of room, infinite room mm-hmm. for various expressions of orthodoxy within those borders. So I, I like that that two dimension mm-hmm. versus three dimension um right. idea. But that's that's just my uh my little word pictures that I use sometimes. Well, I mean, you know, what 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 does it mean to be orthodox? I mean, it's um it's right faith, it's right worship, it's right ministry, um, it's right life. Uh so so all of these things need to to meet a certain like you say, can in a certain standard um, to be considered, and and you can't you can't have just one or you can't have one of them, and then not have the others, and and, and feel like you know yes I'm 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 or, I'm a good Orthodox Christian or I'm or say you know they all have to be present to a certain standard. Uh, you can right. have you can have right faith, uh, but not be in mutual submission with. Um, you know, with the apostolic church, um, in apostolic succession. So that means you're, you know, you're, you're, you're in schism or whatever, you know, but you're not in communion right. and you're not submitting your life. Well, that, that, then you're not living an orthodox life. Um, so you have to have all of these things. You have to have right faith, right worship and right life and ministry. Um, and, and you're not, you, you know, you may not be, perfect in all of them you you know everybody's faith um you know we're all sort of challenged to understand the faith um and, and um better as we go but i mean there are dogmas of the church and um there are standards that we are everybody is expected to meet in their faith in terms of doctrine and dogma um and ministry life you know we we live a certain moral life we live a certain life of submission to the hierarchy of the church um you know we don't live it perfectly but there's a certain standard uh by which we're expected to to, to live and if we if we fall below that we can't consider ourselves to be you know good orthodox christians in communion with uh the church you know for mm-hmm. promoting promoting um certain immoral behaviors, uh, you know, and, uh, then that disqualifies us. I mean, that takes us right. out. We, we might have the same faith. We might even have the same worship, uh, you know, expression. Maybe we adhere to all the canons, you know, in every area, except this one moral issue. Well, you know, so it, it's, um, it's a whole life, but it doesn't mean, it most certainly doesn't mean, um, Byzantine or Eastern. <laughs> so that's, that's that's the tragic uh you know that's sort of the tragic consequence of um of people defining orthodoxy um by what it's not and the things that they're saying it's not uh are basically you know red herrings and and straw men and and in, in many cases the things they're saying it's not are actually orthodox things which is even mm-hmm. more tragic you know i mean it's really it's really sad and 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 ups- it should upset us um, those that, that know better. Not to put you on the spot, but can you think of any off the top of your head specifics that that you know things might actually be orthodox, but that are particularly Western that people call out and say that's not orthodox because it's Western. Oh my goodness! Um, yeah, that does you, that does kind of put you on the spot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, I, I if you if you hadn't asked me, I probably would have rattled <laughs> off about thirty or forty different things. But as soon as uh, yeah. you ask me, they all go out of my head. So um, yeah, are you, well, are we, you think, we can. Can you? Are you thinking no, of anything? Maybe can we prime? can come back to uh, we we can come back to like particulars of of Western Rite liturgy and devotion uh, at another time, perhaps. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, I mean, it's just every. We could just start going down the list of everything that we do, from our Eucharistic devotions to, uh, you know, to the way we hold genuflect, genuflect, kneeling. You mm, know, I mean, yeah. uh, that sort of thing. Kneeling on Sundays. Uh, there's one. Um, depictions so, of the of the of the Lamb of God. Uh, depictions of the Lamb of God. Uh, statuary. There's one statuary. statuary. That's a that's a perfect one because mm. there were actually statues in the East 
Um, there are still statues in the East. They still exist. Um, and you can see them in, uh, also in, in, in Slavic lands. They're, you know, they, they use statuary a uh, fair amount. But, but in well, as we all know, that was really area. just that was that was a, a concession Western by captivity. Peter the, Western, yeah, exactly. Peter the Great and his Western captivity. So. Yeah. Well, but, all right, then forget that. So they use statuary uh, <laughs> in the Byzantine uh, Empire uh, in the church in the East. Um, very likely, the reason we don't have a lot of statues is the same reason we don't have a lot of the iconography um, in that part of the world right now. I mean, most of the Byzantine iconography is in Italy. And it was because it was destroyed, uh, you know, um, so by the enemies of the church. Um, but statuary, this is just an urban myth that's so frustrating uh, that people continue and people that know better continue to say, well, um, statuary is not Eastern, statuary is not Orthodox. That's a Western Catholic thing. And um, sure, it might have been more uh, predominant in the West than in the East, but that's just a false statement. It's misleading, and it's just historically inaccurate, but it just keeps getting perpetuated. Well, it sure is tidier and more convenient, so there's that. Yeah, well. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, (sighs) Father Patrick, doesn't the Western right lead people to think that all the beliefs of, of those Roman Catholic and Anglican, like, refugees, all their old stuff is now sanctioned by the Orthodox Church since it allows them to bring their their old liturgies and, and traditions and yeah. devotions that's, into the Orthodox Church? That's a great question. Great question. I'm glad you asked that. Um, I wasn't anticipating that, but um, <laughs> that, that, I, I stirs, that question stirs me up, actually. Um, it, it kind of it gets, gets, gets me a little stirred up. The, the answer is absolutely yes, there is a danger. There is a danger. Um, but if, if we lack courage to do what's right, if we lack the courage to do what's right because of fear, uh, I just don't have respect for that. I mean, I have respect for prudence, for prudence and for circumspection and, and prudence. And we need to be prudent and cautious and, and, and very clear about things. But if, if we're going to if we're going to do what's right, and that means reclaiming the fullness of our faith and the truth as it should be reclaimed, there is going to be some, there are going to be some dangers of misunderstanding, but, but God knows we already have so much misunderstanding about our faith now because we've sort of been in a protectionist mode or, or operated out of perhaps a fear of misunderstanding in this area. Um, that just doesn't seem like a viable alternative to me. I don't think we have a choice. We don't have a choice to do the right thing. And um, so we have to take the risk and we have to do the best we can to try and explain, uh, you know, what things are. We can't, we can't strengthen. And in the long run, it's only going to hurt us. In the short run, we can strengthen our ranks. We can convince people to leave their terrible Western Christian expression that doesn't, you know, isn't the true faith. To come over to us, and we can we can use you know in our polemics and rhetoric, we can use these methods of tearing down what they're doing over there and saying you know that is that is not part of the true faith because it doesn't look like what we do, and right. we can be con- we can even be convincing in that methodology, but it is it is it is wrong and it is misleading. It, it I would even say in some cases it, it, it's slanderous. And well, on a, on a on a related on a related note, one of the other objections that I have sort of listed out as a separate thing is, um, it isn't conversion to orthodoxy supposed to be radical, and isn't the Western right really just a way to make converts feel more comfortable with it? Um, which well, is just well, one of my my favorite uh, <laughs> objections to be asked of all yeah. times. I, I mean. Well, why don't you feel that one? If that you, it sounds like you've given that some thought. Well, I mean, okay, the idea of being comfortable or 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 feeling like you've got a, a radical change. Um, I, what about the people who live in Slavic lands or Arabic lands or Greek lands who have grown up 
in the church since they were babies and who nevertheless have a full, true, robust faith in Christ practiced fully through the traditions of their own church, what to what degree do they feel uncomfortable with that tradition ever in their life, uh, you know, other than just mm-hmm. uh, owning it at some point? How does true Orthodox faith work for them if part of that faith journey uh, supposedly requires radical shifting of, of you know, what, what you're comfortable with or what you're familiar with in terms of devotion and right. sights and sounds and aesthetics and music and, and, and poetry and the yeah. amount of scripture reading and everything else, everything else that a Western convert might, might experience when they come into an Eastern right church. I well, think I know part of what might be behind this, honestly, is and I, I've I've seen this. I've someone someone has has said this before, and I think it comes from their personal experience. And they are probably also describing the experience of others. You've got people in the West who have made real valuable sacrifices in order to become Orthodox, to join the Orthodox Church. Sacrifices that have involved radical shifting of of their their comfort zone of what they're familiar with. Sometimes, depending on on the circumstances of these people, especially people involved in in like, you know, Protestant or or otherwise other Christian denominations or churches, they they may be they may lose their job for becoming Orthodox. You know, they may um, mm-hmm. lose family or friends. <laughs> they they have real consequences that they deal with because they sacrificed um, what they needed to in order to join the Orthodox Church, and this this in an Eastern expression. And so if they could have been spared some of that by joining a Western Rite version of, you know, how unfair is that? I think that might be where some of this is coming from. And uh, I don't want to. I don't want to write that off or be insensitive to that. I think that's a real, that's a real issue. Now, I want. I want to acknowledge how difficult that must have been for, for uh, those people who have gone through that. Well, God, God calls us all to live a a radical life of conversion, and if whatever form that takes, like you, you've already pointed out, um, that's not going to. Let's let's take a person who grows up in Greece, you know, and they they grew up nominal. Right, they're baptized, mm. but they're kind of nominal, and and they have some experience. That, and they're thirty five years old. They have some experience, and they make have some radical conversion to Christ, and they they get plugged in, you know, and they and they become a genuine, um, you know, devout, pious, zealous for the faith. For the you know, well, they didn't make any liturgical changes to do that. You know, I mean, it's just kind of a a, a moot point about. Uh, uh, you know, about your, your liturgical life. Um, Mm. God calls us all to live radically devout lives. And, and whether we're doing that in, uh, you know, in our daily disciplines or fasting or how we're spending our money, I mean, are people tithing? Are they given 10%? Are they given 20%? Maybe somebody, you know, sold their car and gave the money to the poor. I mean, is that, is joining the, is, is having a different date for Pascha? from your, you know, from your brother-in-law? Is that the radical thing that they, they did? I mean, what about sell their car and give all their money away to the poor? I mean, God calls us to live out our faith. There's different ways this radical life expresses itself. Um, but to, you know, sort of um, dismiss um, somebody else because their liturgical tradition is um, more familiar to how they grew up, um, certainly doesn't disqualify them from having made a very serious, um, you know, sincere and 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 devout conversion, uh, you know, in 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 their embrace of orthodoxy. I mean, I, I think right. that's right. I think that's it's it's on the verge of offensive to people. I've heard this a lot. Radical um, a radical conversion to Christ has nothing to do with what right you're serving. It it, it has to do with your your life in Christ. How you love God, how you love others, uh, your, your your life of sacrifice and giving, um, 
the idea that you couldn't be a radical Orthodox Christian because you didn't, you know, uh, forsake, you know, a certain, you know, Western cultural language or expression is uh, just unthinkable to, to, to me. I don't know what that has to do with anything in terms of living a radical Christian life. Uh, yeah. So, uh, you know, I think people are sort of now maybe maybe some people maybe this is born out of some people's personal experience. So they became Orthodox. They were Roman Catholic before they became uh, Eastern Rite Orthodox there, you know, and this created tensions in their family and, you know, certain customs were changed. And, and so it brought to bear on them sort of the, you know, the decision that they had made and they identified this decision to become Orthodox with these different cultural norms and expressions and customs. And it emphasized for them the radicalness of their decision, the costliness of their decision. And that's fine. Sure. I mean, that's true. And that's yep. very real for people. And, and, and that's, there's nothing wrong with that whatsoever. But to sort of think that other people uh, who, who have made a serious uh, decisions uh, for Christ and, and live out their faith in a very serious, even radical way, just because it doesn't manifest in a radically different cultural ritual norm, um, I think that's a, a a pretty big leap to make, a pretty big a pretty big judgment to make on people too. Right, I'm, I'm afraid several of these objections are kind of implicitly <laughs> judgmental regarding the personal situations of of the people actually becoming Orthodox in a Western right. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think, I think you've, you've hit the nail on the head that uh, people becoming Orthodox through the Western right are doing so still at, at, you know, at a cost, there's still a change that's being made and, and there's still a reason and a rationale behind that. And that, that reason and rationale is, is serious yeah. <laughs> to them. Well, there's well, no, well, people people don't do this lightly or for no reason. Yeah. Well, well, let's be let's be frank. There there are there are Christians who are not orthodox who live a far more sacrificial life <laughs> than many orthodox people do. Sure. So, so yeah. we're talking about we're talking about somebody's life in Christ and um you know to reduce that down to whether you're in the Byzantine or Western right you know like whether you're serious about your love for Jesus Christ and and the church um you know it's um i think we have to kind of like move beyond that i think you're right i think that's probably an, enough of that just to if i may bother you just for one more question sure uh this this final objection is i'm not i'm not entirely sure what what to make of this but let me see what you think maybe god actually allowed or willed for the Western tradition to die out in the Orthodox Church for a reason. Maybe there's something inherent about the Western tradition that was in, almost inherently unorthodox, and God allowed this to die out for a reason. So wouldn't bringing it back result eventually in the same errors that the West has already if we bring back the Western tradition, the Western right now, are, are we not just starting down the same path that was started a thousand plus years ago? Well, that's a pretty big maybe <laughs> to, to build. <laughs> that's that's huge. Can't you, know? you see into the future, uh, Father Patrick? Can't you tell yeah. what's going to happen? Well, I mean, uh, well, <laughs> result I mean, because well, of this. Well, I mean to essentially to essentially <laughs> dismiss. To dismiss, um, you know, a, a thousand years of, of venerable history of the work of the Holy Spirit through saints who have defended, you know, the deity of Jesus Christ and, 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 the, and, and, and the faith of the church um, and, and the scriptures and, and everything else is just to sort of like sweep them off of the table and into the trash bin. I mean, that's kind of what that premise would be doing. Because maybe God, in His you know providence and wisdom, uh, decided the Western Rite really wasn't such a good thing after all, 
I mean, you know, that old Augustine, he just messed up everything. And um, so Ambrose, Augustine, Gregory, Vincent of Leron, Bede in England, all, all all these guys and and their and their liturgy, their customs, their tradition, um, even though they were Orthodox at the time, God decided, you know what, you guys were verging on unorthodox. Yeah, it through, was all, all it this. was all it was all tainted. It was all tainted from the yes. beginning. It was all tainted and deficient. And it was just better for it to just go away because it just it just led, you know, the logical conclusion for was it to, for was for it to run off the rails anyway, which it did. I mean, I actually heard a hierarch of one of our churches say that, say that, well, you know, the Western right was always, um, you know, there was some bad seed in it from the very beginning. And so mm-hmm. the logical conclusion was for it to just implode and go off the rails and lead to heresy and schism anyway, and that's what it did, and it was always there. Um, you know, I, I was just aghast, uh, you know, you know, at this. I mean, if that's true, um, well, then I suppose the Eastern Rite was also such because we have um, we have people that are serving the Eastern Rite who are not Orthodox, by the way, who do not maintain our same faith um so it's just that logic is is deeply flawed and um you know the idea that maybe god let it die because it was always bad uh i think is um you know very flawed and fails to recognize you know the bride of christ and the work of the holy spirit in his church yes well there, there are a few more sort of points and objections that we could go through in in different wordings, but honestly, I, th- I think they're they're probably all um, variations of of some of the things we've already talked about. So that's not to say that we might not revisit them in the future, but I, I think uh, we've we've done a good job of addressing some of these issues in this discussion. So I do thank you, Father Patrick, for talking with me and, and addressing some of these issues so that if anyone did have some some questions about these issues, uh, maybe they they found some answers that, that were to their comfort in in this discussion. Sure. And we've, you know, we've, uh, and I've enjoyed talking to you and look forward to maybe another discussion, but we're obviously glossing over um, some of some of these things in a sort of a general way, but but I think um, getting to uh, you know sort of some foundational premises that uh, are important to how we ask our questions and think about these things is good. Um, yes, and uh, to to just kind of bring it full circle, both you and I live week to week this orthodox tradition we we actually we pray the prayers we use the liturgies we uh we know what this is about from a personal you know sort of viewpoint and uh we this this is not theoretical for us it's it's real it's lived right i i think that's one of the most important points to be made is that we we are we are faithful uh orthodox christians uh, you a layman, I'm a priest, but we're both faithful Orthodox Christians. We're faithful to the church, the teachings of the church, the canons of the church. We're faithful to our bishops. And we are experiencing the fullness, uh, you know, of our beautiful faith through, uh, you know, the venerable uh, Western tradition. And, um, you know, it, it's we're living this life. Um, in, in a fullness and and in complete uniformity with the whole church and um, and fellowship with the whole church, you know, uh, we're not isolated in in any way. And uh, I think people that maybe have concerns, valid, it's valid. It's good to have questions and concerns, but um, I would just hope that they would, uh, you know, not rush to judgment uh, too quickly without without uh, taking the time to understand a little bit more. Yes. Well, thank you for your perspective, your, uh, your wise and informed perspective. Um, I appreciate this conversation. 
And uh, if, if you want to know more about Father Patrick or his church, you can uh, go to his church's website, www.stpatrickorthodox.org. And if you want to know more about the Orthodox West, you can visit that website as well, www.orthodoxwest.com. So thank you again, Father Patrick, for this conversation. Thank you, and God bless you.